G'day there. Uh, welcome to Lunch Money, your online and social media home for special situations, workouts and capital raising professionals. My name's Nick Samios. I'm the Director and Fund Manager here at Hermes Capital. And uh, today we're talking about credit management. Uh, and we've got a special guest who I'll introduce in just a moment. Uh, I like to tell this joke to credit managers. They appreciate it. Uh, on the first day, God created salespeople. Uh, and on the second day, he created credit managers to clean up the mess. Uh, so with no further ado, let me introduce our special guest today, Nick uh, Pelavides, the CEO of the AICM. How are you going, Nick? I'm great, Nick. Yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. I did tell that joke once uh, when I was giving a presentation to the AICM about 15 or 20 years ago, and the whole room thought it was hilarious. So uh, um, it's, it's very much what I think as well, that, that as soon as there were... <laughs> transactions there was a credit manager that would have to come in and as you say clean up the mess and make sure that people get paid for their hard ones one sales yeah exactly exactly tell me um it's it's kind of interesting what well, i guess the credit managers world's kind of interesting because when when covid came along everybody panicked uh, you know, we did a we did a, a fine tooth comb review of every one of our files and you know scenario because it was going to be a disaster and no one was going to pay um, and I'm sure that all of your uh, your membership would have been doing the same thing. They would have had the, the mm. CEO and directors. All of a sudden, the, the credit manager would have been the most popular person in the room, and uh, you know, mapping it out. And then the government flooded the place with money, and credit managers' lives were pretty easy for for two years. Would, would that be about right? Um, yeah, I agree with that summary. I think um, that initial wave, and then the cash started to flow through, and definitely our members have had um, benefited of that, the, the cash flowing through and also um, the supply chain and demand issues have really um, meant that customers wanted to pay their accounts down to ensure supply. So their results have been great. But um, I think a lot of members are reporting that they feel like they've been jumping from one fire to the other or potential fire. Um, as you say, the, the outset of COVID was a huge fire or potential fire for credit professionals. That didn't eventuate. But then we're always talking about the cliff of uh, cliff or tsunami of insolvencies, which hasn't eventuated, and and every day and week there's another risk for us to be re responding to, um, and we're only just now starting to see the signs of that come through. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, we're now beginning to see the signs come through. So I guess mm. uh, credit managers will start getting a, a knock on their door again from uh, from the higher ups because uh, you know we are seeing building industry collapses. I guess uh, you've got you've got clientele or sorry membership who would be supplying the construction industry, perhaps in the construction industry themselves, uh, subbies, uh, all sorts of things. I think that while you, the reason your perspective is so interesting is that. You know, you know, in professional circles, circles, accountants, lawyers, and, and financiers. Uh, you know, we we're we're in the real world, but we're not kind of in the real world the way your your credit managers are, because they really are. Um, you know, where the rubber hits the road. So, um, mm. so look, um, we we've got you on. Well, firstly, let me say that um, if anyone's watching live, you can ask questions. Uh, if you're watching on LinkedIn or on YouTube or Facebook, uh, you can ask a question and it'll pop up uh, and we will have a go at answering your question. And uh, the best questions will get this, one of these, which is a, a special edition collector's item lunch money mug. Uh, at the moment, actually, Nick might be interested to know that it's very hot in my office. And instead of coffee, I've made myself a Greek frappe. There's some ice in there. 
and uh, it's nice. delicious. It is delicious. It, you normally get a glass, but we've got we've got the um, we've got the mug. <laughs> Just the HCO <laughs> for me. <laughs> no worries. Now, listen. What we will uh, we'll start off with just the re one of the reasons that we're we're kind of here is that um, you guys have uh, recently uh, issued your risk report. Uh, the AICM does this every year. Uh, it is um, it is quite a fascinating uh, quite a fascinating uh, document. I've got I've got the I printed it off uh, here. And uh, it's it's a beauty. I mean, you, there, a lot of work goes into this thing. Um, I mean, it's it's 82 pages long, and I can assure you there is some really good meaty stuff in here, which we're going to get to. Uh, graphs aside, some of the articles, some of the contributions, I found really interesting, and, and I'd like to talk to you about um, as as we go on. I mean, how much preparation goes into that thing? I mean, what's what what's the behind the scenes? Yeah, um, quite a lot. Um, we're very fortunate that we've got a lot of great contributors that um, provide their content for us, the articles and things. But what we do is um, an extensive um, survey of our members, which I'll, I'll hopefully share with you today, some of what they've seen, um, and also um, uh, summarising the insolvency stats and um, various data that we have out there um, all into one place. So we've hopefully got all the information um, credit and risk professionals need to get a feel of where we've been over the last 12 months um, and a bit of an outlook as to where we might be heading okay well look let's uh, let's dive straight into um, some of some of the data I mean there's a lot of data in there so uh, let's let's dive into uh, into some of it now I'll just make sure that uh, I've got is that the first slide I think it uh... I think so yep it is beauty, yep. beauty, beauty. Mm. Okay, so insolvencies, and, it is too, it's slide one. So insolvencies and interest rates, um, talk, us, talk us through this one. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting, interesting one that um, I picked up from John Winter at Arita, who's um, been tracking this for a while. And historically, insolvencies, corporate insolvencies have tracked quite closely with that trend line of interest rates. And you can see there that as interest rates were coming down, insolvencies followed that trend. Um, and now as interest rates have been rising very rapidly, um, insolvencies have been increasing as well. But I think to me, what that shows is there's a lag, a significant lag there. Um, while there's a quick drop off in uh, insolvencies is dropping, the insolvencies haven't been rising as fast as interest rates have been. So while we're getting back to pre-COVID sort of levels, I think there's a, a missing number of insolvencies if we look at that, that historical data. Yeah, it is very interesting that, uh, that, that we, as you say, interest rates have gone up. At the same time, inflation's gone up. I mean, it's very hard to, uh, to, to, to try and extrapolate from this information because it's all, it's all upside down, isn't it? Um, let's see mm -hmm. what our next slide is, insolvency by industry. Um, yeah, so this is one of suspects. Yeah, that's right. One, something we track quite closely is um, the different industries. And this is um, coming from ASIC's data and they, they track um, well over a dozen industries, but these are the top six and um, not a surprise there. Um, construction's um, uh, back to, to number one, but there has been that change um, with uh, other industries dropping back. They were 2020, uh, 2019, they were the, uh, the highest level of insolvencies and they've dropped down um, to fourth and, and now we're seeing construction, accommodation, food services, um, which are traditionally the industries um, most represented in the insolvency numbers. 
Yeah, I, I just thought I'd, um, I, I've just got some uh, some newspaper headlines here from recently. You know, we had uh, insolvency bosses ready for a reckoning in construction. And that was, uh, I think that's the end of January, that article. Yeah, January 30. And then recently, um, uh, you know, Porter Davis customers left uninsured as liquidated digs through the rubble. I think that was last Friday. Uh, there's mm. two, two, two large construction firms uh, went, went, went under in the one afternoon. Uh, what do we got here? Construction sector leads company collapses in Queensland as insol uh, insolvency surge in March. So, um, you know, every time one of these things, um, every time one of these uh, companies uh, goes, goes, goes under, we, um, you know, we, we see it on the news, someone SMSs us, and then you're rushing to the ledger to see if you've got any exposure. Um, exactly. So, what, 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 um, what? Typically, how do your membership monitor? I guess they're subscribing to, to, to insolvency monitoring services, or, or what, what, what are they generally doing? Yeah, that's right. But um, a, a great way is to subscribe to um, uh, the, the monitoring services, Equifax, Ilian, Creditor Watch are all great services that can help you identify when there's a change to your customer. Um, that might be a change of director or some some sort of structural change or their payment times are different to you than they are to other suppliers can be a great sign. Um, but I think the, the, the best way to know how a customer is tracking is from your credit team and your, your broader team who are interacting with them because construction, yeah, it's, it's high risk, but it's one of the biggest industries as well. That it's, it's kind of relatively proportional. Um, and not all in all businesses within that construction sector are high risk. There's lots of great players that have made the right decisions through that risky period that we've, we've all seen and reported on. So really understanding each individual customer um, from your experiences trading with them, from going out to the sites and seeing what's actually happening there through just general interaction that you get on the phone call and following up payments. Now, uh, I mean, just on the on the subject of monitoring, yeah, I get. I mean, I'm sure you get them too. I get this email here from uh, from my friend Jamison Lautet, and uh, mm. what I what I've interest uh, interested to see. It's just an email that comes every day. Um, but what I'm interested in is um, it's some the, the numbers are building up. You know, restructuring relief's an interesting one. You don't normally see too many of those. Um, mm. The thing is, from our point of view, what we don't like to see is a lot of liquidations. You know, the list always seems to be full of liquidations. Uh, now, today, there's a few voluntary administrations. Uh, voluntary mm -hmm. administrations are a little bit of a, an a leading indicator for us um, because, you know, we do, we finance, you know, distress and restructuring. And so when we see voluntary administrations, we think, right, okay, that's the sort of stuff we can get our teeth into. When we see liquidations, unfortunately, that's a that's a sad and sorry end. Listen, let's mm -hmm. um, let's let's get back to some of these graphs. So insolvency by industry. Um, now, now this is really interesting. Percent debtor versus creditor driven. So just tell us about this. Yeah, I think that talks to what we've. We're saying there, as you say, a lot of the organisations are going straight to liquidation um, and also that lag factor that we spoke about with the um, the RBA cash rate. Um, so this is something that I just had a bit of a look in, in this year to see what that effect of the ATO and other major creditors, we, we hear they're not enforcing as much and see those in those or don't see them as much in those lists. Um, and that really shows the, the difference there. Um, small on my screen, but I'm pretty sure it's the, the dark blue line is the creditor-driven right, insolvencies yeah. where it's a, yeah. a wind-up procedure. Um, and you can see that 
in the past, tracked very closely, but in, as we entered into COVID and even prior to that, we started to see a bit of a diversion from that where the creditor-driven insolvencies are dropping off. And obviously since the Royal Commission, there's been a big change in collection activity. And um, during, uh, during COVID, the, a lot of creditors haven't need to, as I said, ledgers are really good, but also the ATO have definitely stopped and only just starting to pick up their um, activity. So I think it's interesting that we've got an increase in insolvency because it's not because of the direct actions of creditors to wind up the, the businesses. Maybe it's the starting of pressure from the ATO that's driving it, that the directors are then initiating the insolvency action. Um, but yeah, the, the, the high level of insolvencies indicates there's a um, they're, they're waiting to really get pushed and there really isn't a lot of chance of recovery um, by the time they get there. So a big concern that companies are waiting longer than they should before taking the action to either restructure or, or deal with what can't be recovered. Yeah, well, interesting. One of my one of my questions for you a little bit later on is about the creditors, uh, debtors using the courts, but we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. We'll just get through these slides first. Mm. Um, but, but I mean, what is it? Well, let's see. Well, where are we next? So small business restructuring. Yeah. Now, this this you're referring here specifically to the small business restructuring, the new thing that was brought in for COVID. That's right. Yeah, that's one of the things that's changed dramatically. We've tracked that year on year and um, the, in, in prior years, the, the line didn't get off the bottom um, and we've seen that somewhat higher uh, levels over the last 12, um, 18 months. Um, quite a bit of fluctuation there, um, obviously a bit of a drop around Christmas and, and financial years and I couldn't see why there was a variation in October, so that's when our national conference is. So well, I think that all I the restructuring people, yeah, they're all at your conference. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a big impact, yeah. You'll have to <laughs> So, but they are, I think, seriously, they are small numbers. So the variation yeah. does move quite a lot. And we've seen that in recent months that you get 50% drops. But yeah, that's a big um, thing that people are getting across now that we're seeing a lot more of those activities, um, those restructurings. A lot of members are seeing them start to affect their customers. But interestingly, they're seeing they've generally been paid up to date immediately prior to the restructuring or on commencement, um, whereas the ATO is the major creditor left there. So, so your members, again, you know, uh, representing the, the, the uh, largely unsecured trade uh, trade uh, creditors, trade suppliers, I mean, how do they feel about these, this, the, the, the SBR, the small business restructuring? Are they, do they, are they generally supportive? Or are they, do they, do they think it's a good regime? What, 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 what's the general feeling? Probably a, a mixed feedback there that um, they like the idea of um, businesses engaging early in the process and, and to engage in a restructuring, you need to have your entitlements up to date, your lodgements up to date. So there is a positive aspect to that, that it, it rewards businesses for engaging early. Um, at the end of the day, it's a business that's technically insolvent, so it raises alarm bells. Um, and the, the big issue for unsecured trade creditors is they're asked to continue trade during that restructuring period on credit terms, but because of the, the high risk there, they're, they're really not in the position to, to extend credit. So um, luckily we haven't seen that impact many businesses. They have had the cash flow to trade through that period and, and sustain those supplies. Um, but yeah, that's the uh, bit of a summary. And uh, I appreciate it would only be anecdotal, but would would do you think that uh, you know when because obviously you talk to a lot of people, you've got your gatherings and 
and all, uh, I mean, is there feedback that the outcomes are better, do you know, or is it too early to tell? Um, as I said, most of our members have been paid in full prior to the restructuring. Yeah. So the, yeah. I think the, the, the people involved understand that getting access to trade credit during that period is going to be very hard. So that's the best way to do it, to pay up to date. Then you might get some, but generally there's been reluctance to continue providing that. So I guess that is a better outcome um, yeah. and hopefully it is. And I, I believe the, the statistics show that the, most of the businesses are continuing to trade after going through that. Um, process. So that's what everyone wants, isn't it? That those businesses yeah. engage, restructure and people continue to be employed and, and be absolutely. productive. So Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right. That sounds relatively positive. Uh, personal insolvencies uh, and the RBA cash rate. Mm. So again, a, a more stark change there that we hear daily about the pressures on individuals because of the, the cash rate in, and interest rate increases. Everyone's feeling it from the price of tomatoes to to everything, but it's not yet coming through in the um, personal insolvency numbers. Um, obviously, there's um, a, a greater change in collection strategies and, and processes there, but also um, maybe there is that cash buffers that most individuals still have that it's yet to drive them into insolvency to to cause that bankruptcy of individuals. So that that's a, a positive thing, um, and hopefully that continues. But the um, CEO of AFSA who monitors um, Personal insolvency is predicting uh, back to 2019 levels over the next right. 12 to 18 months. Okay. Mark Robinson from um, from DeVries Taya asks a question on the line here. Um, the insolvency trends remain relatively low, um, notwithstanding increasing financial distress. Do you think creditors have declining confidence in formal insolvency processes? Do you, what, what do you think? Um a few things there. I guess my, my first reaction is um, they've never had a lot of great confidence in the insolvency process to recover the funds. And um, that might be a misconception that you expect a, a big dividend out of insolvency. It, it is an insolvent business, so you're unlikely to get full return. Um, but those dividends are, have historically been very low, less than five cents in the dollar for the majority of insolvencies. So um, that hasn't changed. And um, Hopefully, with some of the work we're doing on the um, the reviews at the moment, we might find some efficiencies for the insolvency professionals that reduce those unnecessary costs and burdens that could increase that. Um, but going to confidence, I guess it's the complexity of the, the corporate insolvency process that really impacts their confidence in the process. Well, look, this, this could be a good time. Thank you very much, Mark uh, Robinson. Thank you very much for your question. Good to see a live question. I'm not sure if you've already got one of these gorgeous mugs, Mark, but uh, in any case, maybe there'll be one there for your spouse or kids. Um, so thank you for your, for your question. Um, now, Nick, I, I just wonder, we might segue into one of, my, uh, one of my questions I was going to ask you, because when we talk about the formal process, of, you know, obviously there can be an informal process and often um, your uh, membership uh, will be uh, asked to accept payment arrangements, for example. And uh, payment arrangements raise the spectre of uh, unfair preferences. Mm. Um, now, now, you know, it's interesting. I had a client just this week uh, went into, uh, they actually went into liquidation because they had a supplier that took them to court and the supplier didn't accept a payment arrangement. And I speculated as to why that might be. And it may well be that they just don't want to be caught in this unfair preference 
situation. The unfair preference being where if you accept payment of someone who you know is insolvent, then any payments that you receive can be clawed back by a liquidator uh, if they were received within six months of the event of liquidation. So if I owe Nick money, Nick knows that I've got a solvency issue, I pay him 100 bucks, uh, and then he, and then I go into liquidation a month later, well, uh, an insolvency uh, a liquidator can come along and claw that money back. Mm. Now, is that how you, this must be a real pain in the neck? It must be the bane of uh, the existence of your membership. And is this what you talked to the parliamentary inquiry about, or am I getting mixed up? No, definitely. Yeah, no, that's um, something that we've been advocating strongly for quite a number of years to address um, the unfair preference regime, make that fairer. Um, it's, it's um, yeah, lots of issues there on our members and definitely impacts them. And I think that example you had there is a uh, exactly why it's an issue for all businesses because credit professionals are concerned that accepting these repayment arrangements and um, agreements will expose them to preference claims. All they're doing is trying to help their customer, provide time to pay, um, work with them um, at the point where they really need that help, where there might be potential insolvency. So they're, they're exposing themselves to risk by continuing to trade and accept those arrangements. Um, and then to have six months down the track, the company goes into insolvency, um, they have a loss, um, that, you know, there's some arrears that haven't been paid. Um, and then they're open to the risk of a, a preference claim being clawed back by the liquidator. The thing is, a lot of those preference claims don't get clawed back until three years later because there's a three-year period to, uh, to pursue those as well. So yeah, yeah. then you're in another disadvantage because your, your credit managers have changed and you're trying to work out what happened three years ago and trying to defend yeah. that claim for, for yeah. doing what you should be doing, chasing up yeah. overdue payments. Mm. Yeah, been there, done that. Um, I yeah, I, yeah. The, particularly during COVID, you know, a lot of these insolvency guys were scratching around looking for things to do, and uh, dragging out you know old boxes from the archive, and suddenly remembering, oh, hang on, here's one here, a preference claim from four years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and so, 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 just re reflecting on my case, I guess the creditor would be sitting there going, well. You know, they go into liquidation, we haven't recovered the money, that's the end of that. We might get 10 cents in the dollar or whatever it might be. Or we take payment and then we've got to hand it all back anyway and then we're incurring the legal costs and the, the management time and the bandwidth. I mean, what's the what's the mental process there? Um, my first word of advice is always take the payment. It's better cash in the hand and, and worry about it later. So it's very rare that you don't accept a payment. But because of that preference claim risk credit professionals will look to mitigate that risk when there's that situation happening. So it might be asking for additional security, payments through other organisations, anything they can do to mitigate that risk, which at the end of the day just creates another barrier to the business that just needs a bit of time to pay and a bit of support and is trying to engage with the credit provider to do the, the right thing. So it's an un it's a it's a barrier to efficient trade and supporting those businesses when they need it. And do do you, do you, now what? So what do you advocate for? Do you, are you advocating for an abolition of preference payments or or just to re, maybe reducing the period? What? How do you think it would work better? Um, definitely, that's our headline um, request: is to abolish unfair preference claims against um, unrelated creditors. So definitely, if right. it's a related entity, the 
there should be a much um, stricter regime and an efficient way to claw those payments back because that's just defeating creditors and, and all those sorts of things. But yeah, we, we definitely advocate for the abolishment of preference claims against secured unsecured creditors where there isn't actual knowledge. If they don't actually know the business is insolvent, yeah. then they shouldn't be at a risk. Um, the current regime says a suspicion of insolvency and, yeah. uh, and not, a, well, not an un, unlikely joke is credit managers suspect that from day one, that they suspect insolvency <laughs> from day one. It's their job. <laughs> I guess, um, you know, if you're accepting a payment plan, I guess there's an implication there. It's interesting. I mean, I guess our insolvency practitioner friends, uh, obviously the preference claims are a bit of a honeypot for them. Um, on the other hand, if you're a credit manager and you got nothing and you know someone else did get, you know, a preference payment, you might be feeling a bit jealous. Uh, so it can cut both ways. Now, listen, we've got uh, Grant Morris, who I know is uh, very active in your organisation. Lots of Especially talk about... Uh, lots to talk about here. Did they really receive an advantage over other creditors? Are they being penalised for good collection and risk management processes? Suspicion of insolvency or deemed or actual insolvency, the list goes on. So, um, yeah, any, any yeah, reflections? I think that's yeah exactly what we're saying, that um, trying to support a customer, um, following normal collection activities, they're not using undue influence, they might use the court system to encourage payments. Um, that's really not an unfair advantage over another business that hasn't done anything. And that's, that's the intention of the legislation is that if one entity has been paid in advance of someone else, then it goes back into the pot and distributed against all the, the creditors. Um, but really that isn't fair to the, the, the credit provider that's done the hard work to engage with their customer, support them um, in, to benefit the credit provider that hasn't. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much, Grant, um, for your question. Thank you uh, for that. Okay, let's uh, let's move right along then to our next chart. Uh, oh, okay. Tell us about this one. Tax uh, total uh, yeah, debt sixty six billion. That's the ATO. That's right. The ATO uh, total debt. So that's continuing to to grow year on year, and, and something we we track very closely. Um, I, I try to have a look at it each year and, and try and bring it into comparison of some things we might reflect on. And in the past, I've compared it to GDP, and I think it ranks in the top 100 countries of GDP, the amount of debt that's outstanding. Um, this year, I compared it to submarines, talking about the, the nuclear subs we're, we're purchasing. So that amount of debt could purchase one submarine um, out of the eight that are being acquired. Um, right. Which sounds a bit trivial, but that's two and a half thousand jobs that the, the government's saying each um, each submarine contributes jobs, and that there's a lot of jobs created through that. So that's one reason why it's significant, um, but also it's growing uh, year on year. It's grown by double digits. I think it was um, 13 percent um, in that financial year. Well, uh, yeah, and the, the collectible debt is supposedly 44. Billion. You've got that from the ATO's annual report or have you got more up to date? Correct. No, yeah. that's from the last annual report in June yeah. last year. Now, now there is a moral hazard here with uh, with the ATO. Uh, on one hand, uh, you know, they're, they're supporting small business by not, um, by not chasing them too hard, you know, uh, on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, but, but there's a couple of counter arguments, number one from me because they're my biggest competitor. 
uh, you know, we, we, we provide cash flow and uh, the ATO mm. does it, uh, with, you don't even have to apply, you know, you just stop paying. In fact, a lot of accountants have been advising their clients over the last year not to not to pay tax. It's quite remarkable. I've come across that a number of times. But but there is a moral hazard in that on one hand, you know, if, if you and I are competing with each other and I'm not paying my tax, I can afford to undercut you because I'm, I'm taking it right. So that's on one hand. Exactly. On the other hand, I know from a from a trade supplier, trade creditor's point of view, um, they're concerned that, well, the ATO knew about this, you know, because the ATO obviously has, uh, in some some respects, a lot better uh, information uh, than, than some suppliers do. You know, and, and why have the ATO allowed them to trade? And, you know, us, the poor old trade suppliers, have been continuing to supply in good faith um, you know, when the ATO maybe should have alerted us. So I, I know the ATO is supposed, uh, now has the power to, to report to the credit agencies. I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, definitely. That's exactly why we monitor that because it still is a, a hidden risk for credit providers that they're, they're trading along, they're getting their reports from their bureaus that we spoke about earlier. Um, they're, they're doing the best support the customer. Generally, they only find about that ATO debt when it goes into insolvency and there's a year or two of outstanding ATO debt, which had they known about that, they could have um, made more efficient decisions and traded with the customer to mitigate their exposure. Um, the, the measure that's brought out to disclose it um, is good. It's a big step forward. We do have some coming through. I think Grant, who was asking the question before, is one of the few members that have seen um, one of the defaults on a credit report. Right. But the issue there is um, once that business is disclosed, if they enter a repayment arrangement, that disclosure comes off the credit report like it was never there. So right. one day right. Right. they've got right. a pile right. of debt, the next day they pay $20 on an arrangement um, and it's now again hidden from credit providers. Well, well, it is pretty soft. I mean, if you, I think the thing is, if you just pick up the phone to them, I think they, they won't report you. Um, but look, I, I'm I'm just interested uh, again uh, in your in your wonderful report here. There's there's a number of uh, you do talk a lot about emerging trends and some stuff that we won't talk about. Like yeah, there's a really interesting section on buy now pay later, um, and there was another really interesting article about crypto. Uh, and data security and all that stuff. We won't we won't go go into those. But if you're interested, then uh, get mm. hold of that report because it's really interesting stuff. But one of the one of the sort of new technology things I I did want to ask you about is is AR automation. Um, and I know, for example, that the ATO uses a lot of automation. Do you, do you have any are any of your membership ATO? Do you have any? Uh... Not directly. No, we do work with them closely. So yeah. yeah. But they're not, they're not ARCM members as such? Not yet. There's a call out. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, but but uh, so, so what, what sort of trends are you seeing in AR automation that, 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 uh, and how are credit managers embracing change like that? Yeah, it's um, definitely moving along very quickly where, and, and COVID was a, a big enabler of that. Um, suddenly the, the cash flow was front and centre. These projects have been on the the back burners for a while suddenly got escalated and implemented very quickly. Um, it's it's really a no-brainer that every business has only got certain number of um, resources to, to do what they need to do um, and being able to prioritise your workload and eliminate um, uh, inefficient processes like sending out invoices or just sorting out who to contact first and reminder letters and those sorts of things can be really automated and 
they can help you prioritize the customers that can pay but aren't paying um, rather than calling every customer on your list. Yeah, I guess because, I mean, obviously one of the things that the AICN does is obviously it maintains professional standards in your industry and it professionalizes the industry. And you, uh, I know some of the graphs will come up to again, um, very mm. interesting, uh, you, you know, in, in making sure that people are skilled and all the rest of it. But I guess as, and, and I know the ASM has been going for, for a long time. I mean, I was a member 20 years ago. Um, but I guess as, as your members become more and more professional, then there is stuff that, you know, I, I call it the donkey work, you know, that, that, that you can automate. Uh, mm. So that they're able to use their sort of more cerebral skills, um, you know, do, do, doing other stuff. So I guess there's an element of that uh, that to it. Listen, let's uh, let's let's move along. Um, in fact, uh, yeah. So collections performance. Now this is interesting. CCEs versus non-CCEs. Uh, so CCEs being certified credit executives as certified exactly. uh, by the AICM uh, versus. Um, versus non-certified. So just, just talk us a little bit through this. Yeah, so we've um, surveyed our members and this is one of the insights that was provided that in 2022, um, generally most credit professionals um, saw their performance hold up or improve. Um, relatively few, I think it's about 5% when we aggregate the numbers, um, saw deterioration. Um, the, the number to improve has dropped on the prior year, um, which is not surprising. The last couple of years have seen record uh, performances for, for collections across the industry. Um, so I think the prior year was 65% of members improved collections performance. This year's around 35% when you aggregate it. So still looking very positive as we ended 2022. Um, but what we did here is look at um, the the performance of our members who obviously still get great results um, compared to the certified credit executives who are our most experienced and, and senior members. Um, and you can see there that the marked difference that they have greater improvements and, and less deterioration through that experience and knowledge. And I guess that really shows that by investing in your um, accounts receivable, your collections, your credit team, um, that returns results, whether it's in automation, as you say, or in hiring the experienced um, professionals or educating your current staff to, to come up to, to speed, um, that directly results in improved performance. Yeah, it's very, it is, it is interesting. I mean, uh, you know, improved performance, for example, there's a, there's a, ba -doing, ba -doing, ba -doing, yeah, 25, well, 33% difference between uh, non-CCEs mm. and CCEs. Maybe, maybe the ATO should get some of their people uh, to, to become certified credit executives, uh, and uh, they might they might bring in some of that money and pay for a sub. Um, factors exactly factors contributing to improvement. Um, just just yeah, just uh, quickly through this one. Yeah, uh, the I guess the interesting thing here is high demand driving Im improvement, and that's been quite apparent in quite a number of industries, and and um, something that we really haven't seen to that degree in the past. So. Um, I guess that's probably not a huge surprise, but um, shows how um, customers have been wanting to make sure they're well ahead of their um, payment terms and up to date so that if they get that next job and they need another widget, they can get that um, as soon as it comes in rather than wow. having yeah. an overdue account slow them up. That's really interesting because everybody's aware of supply chain issues and, you know, people, you know, you, you, you hear about it uh, all the time. 
And uh, I guess what you're saying is, yeah, because there is, there's almost a competition in some industries as a competition for goods, you know, mm. that, you know, people can't get hold of timber or can't get hold of one thing or the other. And um, so what you're suggesting there is that they, they, you know, when they, when they need the timber, they want it and they don't want the fact that they're a little bit of a sl more, you know, a little bit a slower payer than the next guy. Um, that that's going to mean that they go down the list. Is, that's that's what you're saying there, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Most suppliers will have a, a credit limit that they're comfortable supplying to. So yeah. um, also the businesses have got more attuned to what their credit limit is and, and making sure they've got that buffer there to, to be able to get that next supplier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then uh, strategic uh, strategies to improve results and improvements to credit processes, all things I'm sure they've learned uh, in the process of becoming certified. Factors exactly. contributing to deterioration. Uh, the big one there is workforce shortages and inflation. So just step us through that. Yeah, um, I guess um, there's very few that have seen deterioration, but where the um, pressure has been felt is in that workforce, whether it's... Um, externally with their customers or internally with their credit team um, having the access to the um, experienced staff to be able to, to manage that is probably those areas that have really impacted um, results so again seeing those human factors coming through quite strongly okay and insolvency levels in 2023 we've, we've kind of uh Touched, yeah, we have touched on that. I mean, obviously, we've spoken about that. Um, uh, what's interesting is that I speak to a lot of insolvency people, and obviously, there's there's people who get the, uh, you know, the big jobs, um, you know, the Scots Transport of this world, and obviously, those guys are busy. But um, you know, the smaller firms are still are still pretty quiet, so there's still a lot more of that to come. Uh, collections performance again. So just uh, uh, this is a little bit sort of a similar theme to that that earlier slide that we had. Um, and factors impacting credit risk. Uh, just talk us through this one. So we've got interest rates, inflation. Um, yeah, so this one, all the, those factors there are, are quite common that most people would be across. Um, really the interesting thing for us in this report, in this um, survey was the variation in past surveys, it's they've all been along about the same. Um, that um, inflation and um, and those cost side issues really standing out in this year's survey. And a bit of uh, geopolitics coming into it as well. Australia's relationship with China and the war in the Ukraine. Um, so I guess depending on what sector you're in, but those things are, are impacting. Yeah, I think that's just general uncertainty that adds to everything, that when things are uncertain, and I think that's what we're seeing at the moment, that um, some payments and, and things are slowing down, but it, it's probably more because people are worried about what's coming rather than actually the, the impacts to themselves at the moment. Okay, listen, we've, 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 we've run through all your slides, but I did have some extra questions uh, as I said, I read through uh, the report and there were some fascinating articles. One of them um, was uh, discussing the use of the courts uh, by by debtors to delay payment. Um, and I was interested in that because I've seen that. I mean we, we saw we had we had we saw one matter here at the end of last year where there was um, there was a wind-up action by one creditor. And as you know, with, with, with the wind-up actions, uh, you can have substituting creditors and joining creditors and, and all that sort of thing. And we were watching this, um, we were watching this 
uh, court hearing on on Zoom or whatever it is. You know, the courts uh, the courts allow you to tune in, and and there was six or seven other creditors. Uh, it, it reminded me of the Brady Bunch. You know, um, you, <laughs> you may not be old enough to remember the Brady Bunch, but but all the faces on the TV on the Zoom screen yeah. on, on the Zoom. And it was what was really incredible was how um, this became regular viewing for us because they kept getting the, uh, the judge or the, the magistrate just kept giving them extensions. And uh, I think there was four or five extensions. Um, so so is this this is obviously something concerning your membership, the use of the courts? Yeah, it is a, a perennial issue that um, when you've got a customer um, that maybe has the capacity to pay but doesn't want to um, they, and are experienced with the process, that they can use that to, to drag out payment times. They can... Um, slow things down and extend it. Um, it's it's always very tricky because um, those processes are in place to ensure people have due due process and the ability to to have a proper defence. But um, the, yeah, the frustration for credit professionals is when it's clearly used to to drag things out, to increase costs, um, wear down a credit provider to accept um, compromise on a on a valid um, exposure. And uh, what? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, like I say, it's 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 quite fascinating to see uh, different aspects. You know, you the magistrates seem to uh, err on the side of giving extension, and uh, and then you'll sometimes see some creditors saying, "Listen, this has gone on too long," and uh, mm. and all the rest of it. How, what what what's the relationship between uh, the credit managers and say the insolvency profession? What are they? You know, are they on good terms, or are, are the credit managers wary? What's the what's the general feeling? Yeah, it's a it's a it's always an interesting um, relationship, and I think it's definitely improved over the last few years. We we do work closely with the RETA and a lot of great insolvency professionals uh, presenting at our risk seminars that we're doing at the moment. Um, there is definitely a willingness to to work closely with them, um, and things like the preference claims um, are probably one thing that really create that distance with insolvency professional and, and credit providers, because if you help them in one regard, then that might give them ammunition or um, reason to, to be able to chase preference claims. So th there's always that, um, that hesitancy, another reason why we're, we're looking for the preference claim to, to be struck out, because then we can help um, insolvency professionals identify insolvent trading or creditor defeating dispositions where there's been phoenix activity those sorts of things um yeah and what about uh, are your members seeing any uh, increase in the incidence of fraud at all um, they feel, but i'm just curious hearing you talk about yeah that. probably the, the the big one that people are looking at now is um the invoice manipulation where an invoice will be sent out as a pdf um, and that gets intercepted, uh, bank account get details get changed, um, and then payments made. Um, and then it's not till further months down the track when it's chased that it's found out that it was paid erroneously. Um, and that leads to a very tricky conversation that it yeah. can understand yeah. the customer, but it's not the credit provider's fault. And um, there's some, been some recent court cases on, on that factor. So, um, yeah, that's something that credit managers are aware of and, and a reason why we're trying to encourage people to look at e-invoicing at the moment because that's a, a new standard that allows invoices to be sent through um, uh, the PEPOL initiative, which is ensures there's um, great security there to prevent those sorts of manipulations. 
I'll just say we're we, we're sort of just very very shortly going to wrap up. So if you've got any questions, fire them in now. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's uh, that that is interesting. I mean, yeah, we all get those weird emails uh, and that scenario that you talk about. I mean, that's quite frightening. I mean, we. I mean, the, the thing is to try and obviously someone changes bank details is to triangulate that uh, to make sure that. To make that uh, phone call to verify that the, the exactly, details are correct. Exactly, yeah. pick up the phone. Mm. It's 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 the best thing. Um, uh, you know, and, and two or three different data points just to make sure. Um, okay, well, just as we wrap up, what are the what? So, uh, you you guys get together regularly. You have face-to-face uh, -face events with with your membership on a regular basis. You know, what are, what are the things that are most concerning them uh, going forward into the, for the rest of twenty twenty three? What's what's the most talked about thing? At the bar, um, what's going to happen? It's uh, that uncertainty where we're going. Um, obviously, the making the most of your your workforce at the moment's the a, a big challenge. Making sure we can keep the right staff and um, work through that. So, yeah, trying to really get an understanding of where things are going as we're moving forward is um, the, the the big pressure. Saying it's all well, the uh, fundamentals. Yeah, well, Nick uh, Palavides, I've got to say that. Uh, you set the gold standard for uh, for member organisation CEOs. You are just so across every issue. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, you obviously spend a lot of time with your membership, uh, get getting getting uh, deep involved into into what their concerns are, and and it's amazing, you know, what what the trends are and the things that impact. It's um, there's really it, 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 there's really a lot to it, and the, the depth that, that you go into. So thank you. It's been a real privilege to have you talk about these things. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And if anyone's interested in that risk report, I'm happy if you share that, Nick, or you can find right. it on our website. It's not restricted to members. It's something that yeah, we want to inform the, the whole industry. So please do have All a look. Right. We will put a link. Uh, the, 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 we've got your website link. We'll put that website link uh, up when we uh, in, the, in the socials when we when we circulate this. So um, you just if you're watching this, not now, uh, but, but on playback, then um, have a look down and you'll see a link to this report. Thank you very much, Nick. Great to have you. Cheers. Pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Okay. And thanks uh, thanks to everybody for, uh, for watching. We will uh, talk to you again very soon. Cheers.